The angel called us God's hands. So we're like superheroes? That's right. Or a family of superheroes are going to help save the world. So, what are our superpowers? Well, we can see the demons while other people can't. Fenton? I didn't know what to say or how to feel. Do you understand what I told you? The judgment day's here. I didn't realize it at that moment, at least not consciously, but my happy and mostly secure world had just been flipped over and there were dark things under there. Judgment day is here. Very dark things. We've been chosen by God. And my little boy's mind just couldn't take it. Welcome back to another fun-filled episode of The Fear of God, where we discuss that curious intersection between Christian faith and the horror genre and whatever medium that takes shape as on the given week. With you, as always, is myself, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is co-host Reed Lackey, um, but he said something about seeing demons and needing to vanquish them, but it wasn't like murder because they weren't really people. They were actually demons. It was a little kooky. Not, I w- it wasn't really a track I could follow, but, you know, I trust Reed. Uh, we've got a long history together, not just of recording this podcast for all of you, but also just a good friendship. And I'm just trying to see how long I can go before I read. There you are. You're back. <laughs> Buddy, you did it. You are drenched in blood. What has been going on, my friend? Well, I have some bad news for you, Nathan. Uh-oh. You're on my list. Oh. We just almost had to censor this episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like being on anybody's list. No, so no, no, no. I, I, I do worry I am on a few. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to you, my friend. Guess what? We are like Baskin Robbins at number 31 this week. Yeah. Um, episode so, 31. You know, episode 31. We've been doing this thing for, you know, what is that? Just over half a year, eight months, yeah. nine months, something like that. Yeah. Just about eight or nine months. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I want to say a special thank you again to uh, Bill Oberst Jr. for yes. delivering that wonderful reading of The Raven for us last week. Um, if you haven't checked that episode out, please go check that episode out because it's uh, I'm really proud of it and I'm very, very appreciative of the work that he did there. So yeah, I've been I've been out uh, you know vanquishing demons in my in my way as, as you it do. Were. But yeah. see, that's just that's just what you do. I mean, that's like just yeah. Right. I mean, I, I call that Tuesdays right. where I just vanquish <laughs> demons. You know that that's the that's the norm. It's I mean, the new normal. When when the Lord issues the call, who are you to reject it? You know, it's so. Um, true. <laughs> before before we dive too deep into our 
content of the day. Uh, I want to, I want to just, you know, sometimes we'll recommend things and talk about stuff we're diving into. So, Hey, guess what, Reed? Guess what I just watched the other day? What'd you just watch the other day? In prep for our upcoming series that I'm extremely excited for springtime for Shyamalan. I did watch the visit Ah. and was, I'll save, you know, the bulk of my response for our actual episode, but I loved it. I love like, it. Uh, yeah, I love yeah. It. I did too. Movie. I did too. And <laughs> and you and I both had an interesting conversation. Again, we we will save this for our upcoming springtime for Shyamalan episodes. But um, like uh, we'll we'll get into this. I think Split is perhaps objectively a little better or more accessible movie. But I loved the visit. I thought I thought the oh, I, I, like in terms of pure enjoyment. I think I might have even enjoyed the visit a little bit more than Split because I because it's it's so yeah. much fun. I enjoyed it so much. Um, Agreed. So yeah, so uh before yeah, to to fully uh embody what we're toying with here is that starting next week we're going to do a little mini series called Springtime for Shyamalan where we're going to dive into the catalog of M Night Shyamalan and I know that probably a handful of listeners just got very excited and another handful of listeners just rolled their eyes and groaned and wondered if they're still going to listen to us. We'll ask that you please and to listen those to pe- us. and to, I was going to say and to those people we'll see you in 6 weeks. <laughs> uh, because what is our what is our rundown? What is our rundown? We're doing 5 episodes. Yeah, we're going right? to do 5 episodes. We'll probably talk about in some degree all of his films, but we will do formal sure. conversations Primarily. about um we're going to cover Split, we're going to cover The Visit, we're going to cover Signs, we're going to cover The Village, and we're going to cover The Sixth Sense. So we'll devote uh, lengthy conversations so to excited. those 5 films and probably brush up against, you know, a handful if not all of his the rest of his catalog. A, a few of those in particular, I I am happy for an excuse to dive back into watching those. Yeah, I, I I love him as a filmmaker. He's very he's very divisive for reasons that I can kind of understand in some ways, and some reasons that I can't understand. But 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 yeah, he's well, he's we'll, yeah. We'll 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 have plenty of time yes, when springtime comes. A lot of, to- yes, springtime <laughs> channel. I'm excited. What a great Spring- title. Um, <laughs> other uh, two other little. Um, you know, things I've been in, engaged in lately, and I want to hear from you. I, I know one of them we'll share here, but one I did pick up, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I'm going to go full, full nerd here. And, um, it's unfortunately occupied far too much time for a, a grown man with three children and responsibilities and a job and all that. But it is, it is pretty amazing. If you ever got into that world, it's, I definitely recommend it. But uh, that, that's a very short thing. I will say I did just watch last night, and I know you had a lot of good things to say. And I would share probably most of those. I did see the beauty and the beast. The new, oh uh, yes. Yes, yes, the new yes. Live action one. Yeah. I, it was a lot of fun. I adored it. It was intense. Yeah. I adored it. I mean, I, you know, some people said uh, like some of the more harsh reviews basically revolved around thinking that it was too beholden to the original and couldn't compete with the original. But for me, I mean, that just really sort of melted away after about, you know, 45 seconds. Uh, Like the moment that I hear the opening music and the prologue starts, I was just swept away. And I thought it was absolutely delightful. I I, I really enjoyed it immensely. What's funny about that, so I read very little, you know, editorial about it beforehand. I just, because I knew I was going to take my kids. And so kind of once you're, once you know you're going to see a thing, or for me at least, I just don't even bother. But I am not, as so many are, a huge devotee of the 91 version, I think is when it came out. Interesting. Um, I like it. Well, hear me. That's not me saying it's a bad movie. Sure. You know, to me, that era for me personally is more 
Lion King, Aladdin, you know, probably Little Mermaid in there too. But <clears throat> Beauty and the Beast, I was never just a massive fan of. I recognize its place. Mm. Um, and so I actually felt like this take did a more interesting job with some of the narrative elements and some of the character elements. Yeah. There was parts of it that just made more sense the way it was presented in this version. I mean, I really, I really dug it. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think the character flourishes that they did add, I thought they worked very well. And I thought it really deepened the, the world and deepened the story that they were telling. And it is, it is an almost, almost 30 minutes longer than that original cartoon. So they had that space, they gave themselves that space to expand in that way. And I think they well, I think they well utilized their time. I was, I was a very big fan. My wife and son and I all saw it. And yeah, we were all, very enamored with it. We thought it was really, really wonderful. So, and are yeah. are you are you gay now? He is. My my son is. <laughs> so just yeah. You know, I was gonna ask it that way, but yeah. I figured that I'd go the less insensitive route. So, so just uh, yeah. So just you know, fair warning. You know, like uh, it's uh, you'll catch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I did find interesting about that, and and we won't dive too heavy into that particular strain of the conversation. But one thing I found so brilliant about that movie is Josh Gad's performance. He just, he's great. He is, he's the original. He, yeah. all he did was take what's on screen in 91 and make a live action version of it yeah. in a way that's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he's fantastic in that role. Yeah. He's my, he's my favorite performance in the entire, in the entire piece. And I loved most of well, the performances. I mean, yeah, you know, well, for obvious reasons, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I got a level with you, Nathan. I don't know how much of that's staying in. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yes, Beauty and the Beast, Springtime for Shyamalan, good stuff. Looking forward to it. <clears throat> so, let's let's switch gears. Let's dive in. We're talking today about the movie Frailty, uh, yes. Bill Paxton directed. This is 01, 02? This is 2001. Yeah. I think, I can't remember and I should have looked up. I believe... That it was actually released in 2001, but it may have happened late in 2001 and had a more 2002 release. I didn't look up to find out, um, but it was definitely made in 2001. Hmm. You know, talk a little bit about what informed, because, I mean, you were a big advocate of let's talk about. Oh, frailty. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I had mentioned this last week. This is this is a, a, a bit coincidental. I had mentioned last week that when I was first conceptualizing this this show, there were a handful, maybe six or seven episodes that I knew like, ooh, I'm really excited when the time comes to do this episode. And uh, one of those was The Raven. One of them was actually Let Me In, which worked out well as a companion piece to Dracula. There's a few others that we haven't gotten to yet, but one of the episodes that I knew like, ooh, we will do an episode on frailty and I will be very excited to have the opportunity to do an episode on frailty because I because I love this film so much it's one of my absolute favorite films has been since I first saw it and uh, and I really obviously it's right in our wheelhouse in terms of an intersection of faith and horror because it's a horror film sure. about religious subjects so sure. um, it was something that I knew would fit really well in for the format of our show and it was always something that I knew we will get to this eventually and then uh, in the untimely passing of Bill Paxton earlier this year, I thought now is an appropriate time to go ahead and have a conversation about this film, which was his directorial debut and one of only two films he did direct and offer a kind what, of... What was the other one? Uh, it's called, uh, the, I think, The Greatest Game Ever Played, which uh, sadly I have not seen, but that's the other film that he directed. It's called The Greatest Game Ever Played, and I believe it is a story about an amateur golfer um, who, who suddenly finds his way in, in, uh, like a, a major big league sort of 
avenue. Although, admittedly, I, I sadly haven't seen it. But um, he only directed a couple of films, and it's really a shame. I was looking up some interviews in preparation for this episode, and I, I do think that Bill Paxton was a bit of an underappreciated talent. He, he wasn't the kind of actor that would receive the accolades because he wasn't a chameleon performer. He was just a very competent, capable performer, uh, always delivered a very believable. Well, I think everything that I saw him in, I considered to be very believable and uh, very, you know, competent, capable, fulfilled the, the role that he needed to fulfill. But as I was looking through some interviews, um, and I actually I hope that this was not totally true but you you get the impression when you're listening to some or reading some of the interviews that he made that he was a bit disappointed in the general path that his career took hmm. i read that he wanted to be a filmmaker that what he wanted to do originally was direct but that sadly he was rejected by every film school he applied to um which wow. even as of an interview in 2011 seemed to hit him rather hard so he became an actor because he wanted to somehow influence the way that films were made in that avenue. And then he kept waiting for a role that would sort of, you know, sort of break the door open for him in all these avenues. And it just, it never really came. But it's funny. It's just something that as I was reading these interviews, it just, it made me rather sad for, for two primary reasons. Uh, maybe a third. Let me start here that it's always sad to hear about any sort of, creative artist who you think seems like a decent person and has a lot of talent that they seem to not necessarily be where they would love to be in their career or in their dreams. Uh, so that's always a little sad to consider. But um, he, if it's not a horror film, I think it would be classified as a thriller, but it's not really something that we would necessarily talk about on this show. But if you have not seen the film directed ironically by Sam Raimi, who is a horror director, but if you've not seen the film by Sam Raimi called A Simple Plan, that stars Bill Paxton. Mm, yeah, that's good. That is a that is an amazing movie. It's got some stunning performances. Thornton. Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton delivers a phenomenal performance. Bridget Fonda's in it. She does a great job. And Bill Paxton is it's my favorite performance by him. And I think it it definitely well deserves to be seen. It's a brilliant film. And that that I think is one of his best performances. And he thought, at least according to the interview that I read, he thought that that film was kind of going to put him in a better position, sort of be on the map. And it didn't, it didn't quite work out that way. But it was shortly after doing that film in 99 that he did pursue making frailty. And frailty seems when I read like behind the scenes stuff, it seems to have almost been a kind of a community effort in some ways. Like he cast some of his personal friends. I mean, Powers Booth became a friend of his when he did Tombstone. Uh, Matthew McConaughey became a friend of his when he did U571. So he cast people who were close to him. And then um, he even in small and sometimes non-speaking roles cast like random friends he had made just in his local life. Like one of the victims in Frailty is a guy who parks cars at a Beverly Hills hotel that he had just befriended. And he asked him, huh. invited him to come and have this this cameo in this film. It's a non-speaking cool. role, but so it just seems like a real sort of almost a community effort to make this little low sure. budget thriller. And well, you're also, you're also illustrating, sorry to cut you off there. You're no, also you're illustrating, fine. you know, with, with his passing, you know, it is, I, I didn't know the backstory of his sort of ambitions and or unmet ambitions as they were. Um, but I do remember when he passed away, there was such a, 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 a swell of, at least the people mm. I follow and pay attention to of, of just sadness and sort of goodwill towards yeah. him because, you know, you got the impression 
people genuinely liked this guy. Yeah. You know, and he was, he was, you know, almost regardless of his talent level or what have you just seemed like a genuinely nice person that people were appreciative to have worked with over the years. Yeah. Um, and, and again, for better or worse in terms of his, uh, you know, possible didn't quite quote unquote, get it, get there. He, he was a, a pretty accomplished character actor, you know, showing up in a lot of things just here and there. And oh, so he absolutely. did have a lot of, a lot of people for whom when he does pass away, as he did, you know, there's a lot of response to that. And that was, that was kind of cool to see. You know, I mean, I know yeah, that doesn't, I mean, posthumously, that's not going to do much for him, but in terms of just, you know, being able to see the impact someone had in the position in which they were placed is pretty cool. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And speaking to his, and I, I loved reading this, speaking to his character acting, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I get the impression that anybody who worked with him just automatically became his friend. Like, I, I don't, I can't find anybody who has a bad word to say about him, either about his work ethic or about his general demeanor in onset or anything like that. And he stayed friends with almost every director that he worked with to the degree that frailty, he showed early cuts of the film to like Sam Raimi, James Cameron. He showed early cuts of that film to them. He's like, Hey, what, what do you think? What advice would you give? And some of them gave him advice that he then heeded. And before it was released to audiences, he made some quick changes to it and everything. But as far as his character acting is concerned, I loved reading this that he is the only actor that was killed by all three of the major science fiction horror villains. He's been killed by an alien, a predator, and a terminator. And I just thought that was really cool and kind wow. of fun. Yeah, he's the only actor that was that had a death scene in each of those three major franchises. That's funny. And I'm just like, that's that's, funny. that's wonderful. Yeah, I just I just thought that was great. And uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of fondness for him, and I have a significant amount of fondness for for this movie. I love this movie a lot. Well, that, well, that's a that's a good segue. Let's let's uh, execute. We skipped it last week for the Raven due to it's a bit unorthodox sort of medium we were engaging, but. Hey, you know, it's time to bring back our good friend, Mr. David S. Pumpkins. <laughs> All right. So let's do it. We are going to assess frailty on a style, which is a bit interpretive, uh, intentionally. So yeah, uh, style scares and substance. Yes. So if you're somehow just catching us for the first time, we scale these three areas on a one to five. And we put them up on um, our letterboxed page for the um, for the Fear of God podcast. So, <clears throat> starting with frailty. So, <laughs> I, I got to warn you, Riri, you're going to be a little disappointed with some of my responses here. Ooh, um, already, so I, I know, don't like I know, dislike. I know, I know. Um, but but maybe you can help me figure out because I can't quite put a finger on where some of this lies. Okay, yeah, so we'll talk about it. So I'll we'll change start. Your mind. We'll start with okay. Okay, you might. You might. <laughs> Um, we'll start with style for me personally, in terms of style, which I encapsulate as just sort of the general, how do you feel about it? Do you like it? Um, I gotta be honest. It's probably going to fall at about the, uh, out of five, um, uh, probably about a two and a half. Okay. Three, maybe three, maybe three. Um, uh, but, but I'm going to stay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go honest and then you, maybe I'll change it by the end of it and go two and a half. Okay. All right. All right. So I gave style a four. And and for me, style m means less enjoyment because if I were doing it based on enjoyment, I would give this a five for style. Style for me is just in general, like how is it made? How is it approached? Doesn't necessarily reflect like budget. It doesn't necessarily reflect, um, sure. you know, performances or anything like that. It's just in general, what is the the direction 
that this film took, you know, do I think it was right. a bullseye or do I think there were some things that, that kind of were up and down along the way. So for me, this one lands at a four for style. Cool. Um, that's probably the lowest I'm going to go of these three, but for scares, I would probably put that at a solid mm, three and a half. Okay. You and I agree on this one. Cause that's, that's my okay. for, There's for some scares, decent, that's like jump because- moments and stuff. Yeah. 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 But this is not necessarily a film that I would really classify as being traditionally scary. I think it's very creepy right. and very eerie, which yeah. we'll get into when we actually get into it. But, but I think in terms of like, if somebody's looking for terrify me, I want to be scared. This is not that film. Um, I think it's very good for a lot of reasons, but in terms of general scares, yeah, I'm about the same as you three and a half. Um, and then our last category being substance, you know, I, I think I'm probably going to, go see i do these in the moment uh yeah i just like i like things fresh you know? I, I hear you um I hear you. don't like to prepare um, I, I understand <laughs> <laughs> no that would mean i just didn't watch the movie oh yeah there you, go, there you go. um you know i've got notes I, I i'm probably on substance gonna go probably again 3.5 okay all right 3.5 i am a solid five for substance i, I hear the disappointment is dripping out of your 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 words here no 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 it's it's okay honestly it's all right um (laughs) (laughs) um but no no it's okay uh (laughs) looking up my friends list and so rather to host this amazingly given your low numbers uh, frailty still manages to pull a 10 out of 10 of uh david s (laughs) pumpkins (laughs) (laughs) right right i'm I'm really i'm really shocked you know Um, (laughs) i don't know how it happened you know rigged man no so so sincerely I'm, i'm really not that disappointed in this rating because sincerely given now some of it is because i gave it a five for substance but so our official formal david s pumpkins aggregate is that we give frailty seven out of ten david s pumpkins which is in league with bride of frankenstein it's it, it's right up there there's there's uh, exorcist only <laughs> exorcist only got eight and a half so and that was your fault i love so. that though you're probably gonna put on our letterbox an asterisk because it's like this is weighted for the nathan curve no no you know, no like, we i pub- i publish idiot. all of our notes so i publish yours <laughs> and mine so everybody knows oh, who oh. to blame <laughs> <laughs> so when everybody comes back it's like 2.5 well, for style right let me go to the I'm typewriter sure that, and let Nathan know. I'm what sure I'm that doing. I'm sure that one guy will follow suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know who you are. Oh man! So yeah, so a seven out of ten. I'm happy with seven out of ten. David S. Pumpkins. I mean, personally, Good. I would probably give it more, but I'm I'm happy with that. I think that's fair. Um, you tried. Yeah, I, just, I sure I did just, try. You know, I got to keep you honest. <laughs> well, let's jump in. So we did our pumpkins. Yeah, David S. Pumpkins. Um, let's, let's dive into some trivial bits. How do you yes. feel about your trivial bits? Really? I love it. Well, the biggest thing is that, and this is terrifying. This is partially based on a true story, which always, freaks, really? yeah, always freaks me out when I hear about this. It was inspired by the screenwriter whose name I want to look up. So I don't say it wrong is, uh, Brent Hanley, um, is, in, is partially inspired by a story of a, a man in the mid seventies named Joseph Callinger, who killed several people and wounded several more. And he did so. In the presence of his 13 year old son and claims that God oh. told him to do it, which is, is really. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds, you know, it's sad when it's like, yep, yeah, I buy that. That really happened. Yeah, That's really a sad response. Oh, it's, it's, it's awful. You know, what's funny about you saying that is years ago when David Fincher's Zodiac came out, my wife and I were watching it at home and it's, a, it's funny now, like the thought of her watching a movie like that with me, it seems like another world, but <laughs> right. 
about about halfway through it, the way she tells the story is it's like I put on a scary mask and told her this. It really wasn't that bad. But <laughs> um, <laughs> about halfway through, I just happened to tell her. I was like, man, you know, this is based on a true story. Like, in my telling, it would probably be like this real offhanded remark like, wow, can you believe? Right, you know, right, the way right, she right. tells it, it's like I put a flashlight under my chin, like oh, true story, and it like totally, like so it totally freaked her out <laughs> oh to God. the point that even now she's like, "Why did you ever make? Why did you tell me that?" So yes, <laughs> yeah, true story. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was honestly all I had in terms of trivial bits because anything else sort no. of starts to get into the the specific details about either theme or what I like or dislike about it. But um, well, yeah. I've, I've just got two little bullet trivial bits here. One is Powers Booth can't not play a bad guy. Yeah, like I, just, th- I thought about that. <laughs> yeah, it's got one of those. Looks. Even when you think they're going to swerve you and be like, because I've seen this once before years ago mm-hmm. on. I, I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it on video. Um, so it's been years, but I did remember just the general arc of the story and even rewatching it this time, I didn't specifically remember. Okay. It, it took me a while before I was into the movie to remember. Okay. That's right. He's, he's really leading powers booth away because he's got something on. Right. But it took me a little while to recall that. So the, that first half hour, I was like, wow, old powers, man. He's playing. Playing straight, sure enough. Nope, like, nope, not at all. <laughs> not quite. Yeah, that's true. The so here's one, a uh, couple of things that I liked. Uh, shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Philip Hurd. I watched this film in black and white when I rewatched it to prepare for this. Um, I've taken to doing that Wait, recently. Come on now, so you're watching like a whole different movie. Well, yeah, I know you can do that. Of course, you can do that. You can change the color on your TV and watch it in black and white. And come and, on, man, I just push, I just push power. And play. Well, that's all I know how to do. Well, you know what? I I engage more with. You should have told me that's how you're watching these movies. Well, I don't watch it. I don't watch them all that way. Right, if Frankenstein was like in such vivid technical. <laughs> Pulled, a, pulled darn near Wizard of Oz on Bride of Frankenstein when they were doing that. Um, no, no. I mean, I don't do it for every film, but I specifically wanted to do it for this one because it being a, a little bit more of a sort of, well, it's an independent film, low budget film, a, a more microscopic story. I wanted to see how it play out. And I think this film works so well in black and white. It, it uh, feels very much like an hour and a half Twilight Zone episode and has a kind of a neo-noir feel in black and white. I think it works really, really well. And and not to say that the use of color was, you know, something you could easily dismiss in any film. It's just interesting if you've seen a film. I always recommend when you're seeing a film for the first time, watch it the way the director released it. Watch it the way the director intended. And uh, which sometimes that's not the film you get, but as often as you can, watch it the way the director intended. And then if you want to revisit it, um, you can play around with things. You just and, yeah, futz around. Sure. With the, yeah. Do whatever know, you want to do the, at that point. The, the balance and the contrast. Exactly. Yeah. But I turn I, it turn it down, turn it way down, <laughs> and just watch a silent movie. To yeah. Do it. Pretend it's a silent movie. Exactly. Just watch you what know? happens. See if you enjoy it that way. <laughs> um, but I. I loved this film in black and white, not only because of, like I said, the feel that it had, but that I'm constantly aware of sort of the gray area that this film delves in thematically. Um, I see how you did that. Matches visually, you know. Another thing that I like is I like that we don't see any of the quote unquote destructions. We only see the killings. The people who are quote unquote killings in the film, we see that. But if somebody is, if a demon is being destroyed, we don't see that happen. We don't see their death. 
We don't see their body afterwards. We see nothing. And I thought that was an interesting, you know, he's, he's creating visually a separation between those two events as they happen. And on that note, I love that Paxton made a deliberate decision to have you side with Fenton through the the whole movie or well, through the, mm-hmm. the the first viewing of the film you i i had this experience when i was first watching it perhaps most of our listeners did too perhaps you did too that it's like when you're seeing it for the first time you spend most of that movie going man paxton is crazy something is like th- this man has totally just lost his mind and is is insane and is taking his kids along for the ride and uh, and I th- that's by design one of the things that james cameron had suggested to paxton was the original cut of the film, it showed what the people did. It showed sort of the demon reveals. It showed them all every single time he touched them, the first time he touched them. And Hmm. Cameron suggested, you need to move all of that to after the big twist reveal. You need to, you need to shift right, all of that over right. because then Which we're smart. Oh, brilliant. Cause then we get to see, we, we spend most of the film sided with Fenton. And then when that big twist happens, it's like, Oh crap. That was, <laughs> that was completely different than how I was sort of, uh, feeling about it. And then, uh, the last two things that I'll mention for likes, dislikes, I really don't have any dislikes of this film, but for the last two things I'll mention for likes, uh, it's, it's a trope that we haven't, that shows up occasionally in, in horror films and in thrillers. Uh, but we haven't encountered it on something we've covered on this show, and that's the trope called the unreliable narrator, where you have somebody telling you things that are later revealed in, you know, a twist in the film to not be, to not be the truth. I don't want to say some of those films in case some of our listeners haven't seen some of those films, and then they'll go into it like, oh, I'm hearing an unreliable narrator, so I guess I can't believe anything that I'm seeing right now. But I just, it's a, it's an interesting trope, and I always enjoy when it shows up because I don't think it's, it's used very, very often, but I do, I do enjoy it. The other thing that I'll say, again, shout out to, um, you know, in, in loving memory of Bill Paxton, I think his performance here is so well measured and so well calculated that he always seems to me, even though he seems like a crazy man, he always seems like a loving father. And I think that it would be so hard for any actor to pull off that he's sure. able to play, sure. that he seems like he has lost his mind, yet never for a minute do I doubt that he loves his boys and that he is sure. doing what he thinks yeah. is right for his family and for his boys. And that is very difficult as an actor to strike that balance and make everything feel that believable. So, I again, Paxton was an underappreciated talent in his time, I think. But now I'm done. Well, see, now I feel like, uh, you know, you've been holding out on me. Like, I didn't know you're watching our movies in black and white. You know, it's just a this is the first one layer. I've done this with. You know, it's the first one. Uh, well, let me, well, let's talk about this. So, so there's some scary stuff in here. Do you, do you want to address any super scary things like, uh, real specifically? Uh, well, I, for our purposes, I'll say mine, you know, like I, I did find that there's a couple of scenes specifically. So the scene with the nurse in the shed is pretty, Ooh. pretty freaky. Um, so that specifically was one that jumped out. And then of course, uh, Fenton, Adam, Adam, when Adam does the deed in the end, I mean, that's oh. pretty, a, a pretty terrifying moment. Yeah. I, uh, that's on my is that right? His name is Adam. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey yeah. is playing. Yeah. <laughs> Probably right, should right, have right. given big spoiler warnings, but yeah, Adam McConaughey introduces Adam McConaughey. Ma- uh, yeah. Adam McConaughey. Madam, Madam McConaughey. Hey, guess what? I'm not drinking anything but water tonight, brother. Look at that. I'm good. So, <laughs> Meanwhile, I've got my is... devil's juice and Mountain Dew over here. Um, <laughs> so, um, so no, uh, Matthew McConaughey is playing 
Adam Meeks, but introduces himself in the very beginning of the film right. as Fenton Meeks. So it right, can be right, a little right. confusing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when he, when the big reveal happens and all of that takes place at the end, yeah, that's, that's creepy as can be. I think that's very okay. frightening. Um, people actually walk in test audiences actually walked out of the movie in the moment when the nurse is tied up in the beginning because they did not know what was about to happen and they thought they were about to see something horrifically misogynist and everything, which sure. it's not. It's very restrained. Right. But um, Paxton had had said that some of the test audiences, the moment they see this woman bound and gagged and tied up, that right. they just left the theater. And that was, you know, disappointing to him and a little strange to him. And particularly because, yeah, I mean, it, it is horrific to think about. Um, but there's, again, we don't see any of the quote unquote destructions. It's all very restrained. Um, for what it could have been. The whole movie is rather restrained, in my opinion, from what it, from what sure. it could have oh, tried to exploit. Totally. Well, see, here's, so, okay. Yeah. Well, let me, let, let me, let me bring this up because, and don't just brush it off as Nathan the neophyte here. Um, not that you would necessarily. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, you know, you, you were vulnerable a week ago, two weeks ago about style and fashion. I'm gonna be vulnerable about just e assessing something that I've struggled with about this movie. Sure, sure. So the, I think for me, what I, cause so much of the latter half of the movie is strong. I mean, Paxton sells every moment when he's in the shed and then, you know, seeing yeah. these visions that we can't see, you know, right. the twist works. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially if you're just really not thinking about there being a twist, you know, really it, it works well. Um, one of the narrative elements, actually, it's really one of the filmmaking elements really that, that <clears throat> I have a hard time with is Paxson's character has such a turn in those first 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. You see the pic, you see this picture of this healthy whole, I mean, you know, that the mom's missing from the picture, but you know, the three of them, it's this, it's this healthy family unit. And, I almost feel like for me, there's a little bit of disservice and I get it. I totally get it to the audience, not participating in any measure of his vision. The, 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 the vision that propels him into this course of action, not the visions he has in the sheds, because when he comes in, like you've just seen happy whole family unit. And then almost on a dime, the character of the dad reenters the, the, the literal scene and it's like, oh, guess what? I just had this vision from God. I'm going to start killing people. Oh, I'm not mm -hmm. killing people. I'm, I'm vanquishing demons. You know what I mean? It was a yeah. really, for me, you know, and, and maybe there's a listener too out there who's like, yeah, I struggle with that a little bit too. So sympathetic here, maybe. But if not, you know, I'm just the dummy here. But it felt like, it felt like a hard turn in a way that's like, you know, we're driving on this path and, oh, oh, okay. I don't know. And, and again, from a, from a thematic and from a knowing where the movie ultimately goes standpoint, it's reasonably served, but it's such a hard shift yeah. that yeah. it was kind of difficult to buy in on. I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from just sort of feeling and like, okay, I'm just sure. processing yeah, the experience yeah. because I do think there's value in the presentation as it is, meaning there's so little you know until you know it all. Right. Um, so right. I, there's value there, but suddenly I'm very judgmental of this character. Sure. In this sure. moment. You know what I mean? You, oh, yeah. you go from like, oh, this is real pastoral and quaint to, uh, what the heck are you, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a way that's a little too, it's, it's very jarring and very hard to sort of connect to the next 20 minutes because you're just trying to get your bearings. I sure. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to attempt to, 
to wholeheartedly validate you. I think the experience that well, you had. I appreciate that. No, but what I mean by the attempt is I am going to kick back a little bit against what you're saying, but I'm going to try to do so in a validating way, not in a contradictory way. I do think from the interviews I've read and from uh, years ago, I listened to the commentary on this film, Paxton's commentary. I think that I think you're supposed to feel that way. I think that it's part of the fear of this film. Okay, I'll, I'll approach it this way. If you if listeners haven't seen Lost, I'm about to spoil something for Lost. Sweet. I was and you're probably going to laugh at this, but I'm being genuine. When I saw the finale of season three of Lost, when uh -huh. I, when it uh -huh. aired for the first time, I was on a vacation with my family to the Grand Canyon. And I we had just gone back to our hotel room. My mom and dad were just doing their own thing. They knew I wanted to watch this show and I wanted to watch it that night because of how into it I was. So. I tuned in and I watched that episode. They had actually drifted off to sleep before the episode ended. So the episode ends and you know, maybe I won't have to spoil it. You we'll know, <laughs> well, yeah, the twist that happens at the end of season three. I was physically shaken by, by that twist. And here's why. And I'm relating it back to frailty. The reason I was, I remember, I remember our conversations around that. That's how important lost is to the DNA of our friendship. That's right. So, but go ahead. I was physically shaken by it because I had sided with Jack so many times for so long. I had sided with Jack and thought Locke is insane. Locke is crazy and he needs to be stopped. Locke absolutely needs to be stopped. When the show validates Locke's position. It, it shook me because I had related as just as an audience member so strongly with Jack that I was, that I was genuinely like disturbed. Like, oh my gosh, I was so thinking that Locke had lost his mind. In frailty, I think that part of what Paxton is reaching for is for you to think dad Meeks is insane. So that sure. when the film ultimately validates him, that's where the horror lies. That's where the real disturbing element lies is that, oh my goodness. And, and I have a couple of things related to theme talking about that whole sort of validation, but I, I do think that it is supposed to be upsetting and supposed to be disturbing. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you have to like it or mean you have to, to approve of it, but I do think that part of what you experienced is part of what Paxton as a director and a storyteller was trying to make you experience that you're really there with Fenton. I wrote down a quote, uh, when Matthew McConaughey is telling the story, which how much can we trust what he's saying? But he's talking from Fenton's perspective. And he says this quote that I, I wrote down when I rewatched it. It says, and it's right after Paxton has said, I, you know, an angel visited me. We're going to have to start destroying demons. He says, I didn't realize it at that moment, at least not consciously, but my happy and mostly secure world had just flipped over and there were dark things under there, very dark things, right. and my little boy's mind couldn't take it. So, sure. so I do think you're supposed to really relate to Fenton in that moment. You're supposed to really be on board for him because at that moment, you think Matthew McConaughey is Fenton. You think that you're, that that's your, surrogate that that's who you're seeing all of this right, through right. so i so i don't balk for a second at your you know really feeling very conflicted and very disturbed about bill paxton's character I, again I, I whether or not that means you have to approve of it which i don't think it does mean you have to approve it i do think that that's what paxton's trying to do as a storyteller in your mind is create those feelings of this guy is off the rails. well and do, do you um you know that quote you just made which i recall um do you think in your assessment 
that McConaughey adult adult is adult Adam sharing child Adam's insights? Um, perhaps, but I think I read the film that adult Adam is an agent of God. Now we're going to get into whether or not you know we you think that's, he, he this how he views himself, right? Yeah, so he is an agent of God, which means anything that God wants him to be privy to, he's privy to, including possibly information about how Fenton felt in that moment, even though, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just a possible reading of the film that he could be sure. accurately representing what Fenton was going through, or he may just be, because he's an unreliable narrator, he may just be fabricating what he perceives Fenton to have been going through from his right. Adam-based perspective. So, I don't know. And I think there's possibly a couple of different ways to take it once you get to that final reveal in the end of the film. But I uh, let me use that as a segue, uh, because I it. think that I was going to ask you this question. We did briefly pre-brief this, but do you have any thoughts particularly, and if you don't or need a minute, then I have some. Do you have any thoughts particularly on what the title means? Because nobody in the film ever says the word frailty. So, do you right. have any particular thoughts on what the title is referring to or what it means? I have a few, but I wanted to give you an opportunity yeah. to speak to it if you thought if you had any thoughts. Well, I mean, I do think a great title is great because there are multiple levels to it, right? Yeah. And so, I think I think such is the case here, and and you know, I know I I had a bit of a mixed David S. Pumpkins read, but you know. As tends to happen on these, I could, my appreciation can grow. I think one of the things that hurt my most recent viewing of it, it was, it's been just long enough since the first time I watched it to not remember all the nuance. And so, oh. you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like if I were to sit down and watch it tonight, it's like, okay, I'm going to pick up on a lot more because that gap wasn't quite so wide. But, um, you know, I think, I think there are a couple of major points about the title that seem suggested to me. Um, but all of them have to do with relationship, you know, the two components, one being the sort of frailty of our, our familial relationship, just the, the, yeah. the thin thread. And honestly, it called back witches for me a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and what I actually wrote down was, you know, the problem with children is they trust you, you know, yeah. and yeah. that's very much exhibited here. It, this frail, uh, fragile needs to be protected in a very particular way relationship we as parents have to our children right and intentional or not paxton's character grossly abuses that relationship yeah, yeah. so that that would be one um one interpretation another one might be just the the uh, again both of these are going to serve this sort of thin line idea but the this frailty of our relationship to god like mm -hmm. in the in the dynamic of interpretation, you know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll walk down that, that very long trail here in a minute or so, but you know, the, the, the frailty with which we understand and act on what we believe. Um, right. I think, I think, I think both of those are very much present in this particular story. Right. I had, uh, I, I, I resonate with everything you said. You're going to hear this, uh, in a second resonated back to you by some of the things that I thought. I, I made a list, a very small list of, okay, what are things as I'm watching the film, kind of trying to scratch at what, what does this title mean? So I made a small list. It's only four things that I noted that as I'm watching this film that appear to me to be frail 
or or thin, you know, like easily broken right. and easily right. misunderstood. So the first one is something you alluded to. I I, I I wrote down father and son relationships. You are kind of from a psychological perspective. Most people tend to get their identity from their father. Um, sure. And again, that's just that's just sort of a generalized psychological right. understanding. And, you know, if the father is absent or if the father is particularly off kilter, uh, then right. that's going to affect how you see yourself and who you, who you think you are. So naturally, uh, when your father's, uh, one of your father's dying expressions or, you know, shortly before your father died, he calls you a demon. Oh, well, th- that's, that's going to follow you. <laughs> that's going to, sure. that's going to stay with you. So I, I wrote down father to son relationships. Another thing, you know, speaking to you, talking about our relationship with God, I wrote down that, that calling is very frail in this film. Like, huh. like your, your calling as a person, what you are intended or supposed to do in this world and in this life is a very frail thing and easily misunderstood and easily abused. The other thing that I wrote down that's a bit more broad is uh, morality. What is right and wrong? Well, we're not killing people. We're destroying demons. And, right, right. And, and that line is, is very blurred uh, in this film in a number of ways. And the other thing, uh, the last thing that I wrote down as frail, so I had father-to-son relationships, calling, morality, and then uh, perception, that how somebody perceives something, what they think is really going on is very frail. And and I think that as human beings, we do suffer, although we do not go through what the meeks and, and what uh, these characters go through, but we suffer frailties in each of those areas from time to time, I think. If we're attentive to them at all, uh, then we suffer from them. How many times have you heard from believers or non-believers uh, the phrase, well, you missed your calling. And often it's given as sort of a lighthearted joke, but that's something that a lot of us wrestle with. What, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Right. What's my purpose? What's my intention? And I think this film, depending on sort of where you're at in life and where you're at with those kind of questions can push some buttons that, um, that might make you think about how you view the world and how you view God. You know, like at one point, uh, Fenton makes again, this is, Adam Meeks presenting Fenton Meeks thoughts, but um, he says, you know, I I was disgusted by my father's God, calls him my father's God, you know, and so he do, there, there's this tenuous understanding of exactly what God wants and what God is and is not okay with in in this idea, and it's 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 really fascinating to me that this is a very Southern Gothic tale, even sure. though it's. You know, gothic might seem an odd word to use, but it reminded me a lot of like the work of Flannery O'Connor, who has a a running theme in her works of like violence as as grace, like something violent happens and it's it's actually an act of grace in your life. And I thought about that when I was watching this film again of like, wow, yeah, that this this they think in their perspective that they are doing good in the world by committing acts of violence and destroying demons. And the film, in a very bizarre kind of way, I'll be honest with you that we're going to talk about it, but I don't know how I totally feel about this. We're exploring, not explaining. I'll just put it beforehand. Um, The film appears to validate that perspective. It appears to validate in, in plot points, not just in understanding or interpretation. In narrative plot points, it validates Adam Meeks and, by extension, his father. In, in the fact that the quote unquote demons that they destroy did terrible things 
did horrible, horrible things. Right. Um, So that's validation number one. Validation number two, all the freaky stuff that happened with with the video with McConaughey and the fact that nobody can remember his face and the fact that he's standing there talking to somebody who shook hands with him and does not remember that he spoke with this guy. That's such a great moment when he steps out as, I mean, it's scary as hell. Yeah, yeah. steps out as the sheriff. Oh, it's so wonderful. Um, so, so before you travel too far down that path, I did want to, it, it's interesting your, your, this, this mention of calling. And, you know, if you want to examine this from a, from a biographical standpoint, you know, you talk about Bill Paxton's ambition and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I, my guess is you probably experienced this to a certain degree. I know I do like this, this way in which as you progress through life and get older and, and life, builds up around you, you know, whether it's children or responsibilities or job or whatever, where vocation in a fruitful way can sometimes feel very elusive. And to the point that you could, (laughs) listeners may hear me say this and be like, is Nathan okay? I'm totally okay. But there's a way in which you can start to feel like, oh, I'm going to make a desperation call here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And just sort of cast my whole being and self and all that's attached to me this one direction. Right. And you watch what happens in this movie and that's what happens, right? Yes. Like, yeah. you've got this very kind of blue collar guy who we don't get a ton of insight into his psyche pre everything, but right. you know, I mean, he's, he's us. He's, he's probably in this case, late thirties, early forties, got his two boys. He's trying to raise, he's working at the, at the garage. Right. Like there's not, a, there's not a whole lot of what we would attach quote unquote calling on his life. And so, you know, that sort of casts again, this whole vision he does or doesn't have that we don't, we aren't privy to. Right. Um, in a dubious, you know, we're, we're tempted to be dubious of it because it feels like such a desperation move. Like, right. This is kind of what you do when you, when you're, you're lot in life and your psychology start to conflict too much. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Again, frailty, you know, speaking the frailty of our own position in our, our, our respective world. Yes. Yes. And I think that the fine, you can bump up the pumpkins a little. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I'm happy with seven out of 10. That's fine. That's fine. Um, no. And, and diving into that word a little bit, uh, I don't know that this is necessarily exactly a definition, but you know, I think when I hear frail, the first thing that comes to my mind is easily broken. If it's frail, I, I equate frail with fragile. I thought you were going to say that jars of clay song. Oh, see, no, I do like that jars of clay song, but, um, but I think I'm equating frail with fragile, which might not necessarily, they might not necessarily be synonyms, but you know, frail, uh, just, you know, like weak and it doesn't, it doesn't hold together. It's not solid. It's not substantive. And I think about the ideas that we, that we hold so tightly to, like what you talked about, this, you know, even just an understanding of what our family life is going to be like and how it's going to play out. You know, I, I, I really sympathize. <laughs> Granted, this is a, this is the horror genre, so it's very extreme in frailty, but it's a very common experience for fathers or not fathers, for sons to reach a certain age and realize Oh, my dad is not who I thought he was. He does not navigate through life in the way in which I thought he did. Now, in this film, there's a definite flip. There's an event. There's a before this and an after this. But for most of us, it happens in a much more foggy and gradual sense. 
or say like, man, I just did not perceive my dad to be this thing. And, and I think that it, it could happen. I'm talking about father to son relationships because that's the dynamic in the film. Uh, I'm both a son and a father of a boy. And it's, it's one of those things that's on my mind continually about just the way that I interact with him and the way that, you know, am I sometimes being too hard? Am I sometimes being too harsh? Am I sometimes, you know, instilling things that are appropriate for me, but may not be appropriate for him into his life? And I'm not saying that wouldn't happen with daughters, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen with mothers of sons, but it's something that is is eminently on my mind frequently as my son gets older and as I think about how he's going to navigate through the world. And as a person of faith, it's difficult for me sometimes because there are a wide variety of of I'll call it this way. Hopefully listeners will hear what I'm what I'm saying here and not what I'm not saying that there are varieties of faith out there that I do not want him to adhere to. There are versions sure. of faith that I don't want him to adopt. There are specific versions of faith that I want him to run from and ones that I want him to adopt and ultimately I don't have very much control over that. And right, here's where I right. sympathize, regardless of what his intentions and thoughts about life are, here's where I sympathize with Bill Paxton, his character, is that he's got one son who is just on board and gets it. And he's got another son who is absolutely going in the opposite direction. I mean, it is it, like I, when you're watching the scene. And, and again, I was a bit more uh, remembering of the specific beats of the movie. But the scene where he sits his son down at the table and he reveals to him, like, the angel told me something about you, but I don't want to believe it. And we're going to prove him wrong. You know, and the angel told him that his son was one of the demons that he was eventually going to have to destroy. And right. it's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the disillusionment can happen in either direction. Where a father can find out that their son is not who they hoped they would be or, or dreamed they would be. And that they're not who they hoped they were. And a son will find that, will likely find that out about his father as well. That they're, they're just not the man that you thought them to be. And, um, it is, it's a, it's a very fragile thing. It's a very frail thing and requires. So just life sucks and you become a demon hunter. <laughs> like, you know? I mean, yeah, guys, this is a very downbeat episode of, uh, of the fear of God. You know, um, your, your, uh, your allusion a minute ago to the validation the movie makes of their behavior makes me think like the sequel to this. It's, it's a series. It's just, we just watched the origin of Adam Meek's demon hunter. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's frailty was the movie launch pad for the TV series. Yes. Featuring Matthew McConaughey. Yes. Um, and it just, it just, they just couldn't get the money for it. No, no. I, I, I mean, I think all of that is, super valid and e even the jars of clay song um, not think the seashells there I really <laughs> like them um but a theme i want to throw at you is you know and, and, and it's more a phrase that we can just unpack some and what i wrote down is the problem of certainty mm. mm -hmm. you know and 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 yes you know you can make the case okay well the movie validates like it's certain it's definitely these things are happening so uh, you know we're, we're sort of setting that little notion aside a little bit but even as you identified already, there's a, a very unreliable narrator to this tale. Um, there are a lot of events in the movie that speak to our real comings and goings with people of God and people of faith. Yes. And yes. they may not be 
though some might be, but I'm not speaking in the main, in the main of people, um, who are saying that person's a demon, I should kill them. But there are people who are saying, read, this is what God says about you to you from me. And you mm. might think, well, yes. that sounds a little questionable. Um, no, yeah. no, it's real. This is what it is. And, and there's this really interesting moment in the movie where child Adam comes to, um, where Paxson is sitting at the table with Fenton. Yeah. Uh, dinner table. And, and young Adam wanders up. And what does he say? He says, Oh, I've got a list. Yeah. Yeah. And Paxson says, Well, where'd you get this? And Adam says, Well, God gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fascinating moment because if you, if you just take that little scene in a vacuum, well, our natural inclination is to trust an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to lean towards him, but we know that the subject of a list or God giving someone information in a, in what we're meant to believe is a valid way has already occurred. Right. So now this is conflicting information or supplemental information to the, to what we know up to this point as the only recipient of God's imbuing knowledge. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's this, yeah. but, but, but that particular moment is dripping with practical application. Mm-hmm. for us right and i'm gonna pat myself on the back for like this most genius insight but i'll give i'm, I'm joking there everybody but <laughs> because i really feel like it's this this challenge to me and and perhaps by extension to you read and other people who are hearing this but i keep coming back to this god as head us as body image and and because because what that means is we don't have to know anymore. Mm. We don't have to be certain anymore because this is what happens when you are certain. Mm. Not you kill people, but everything you're certain about is going to come into conflict with someone else's certainty about God. Right? Right. Right. And I I just think there's such a danger, you know, clearly in this movie, the, the, the subject matter plays that out, but you know, there's such a troubling phenomenon in the church and, and, you know, your, your particular brand of church upbringing is probably riddled with it. I mean, my gosh. Oh yes. I just read and I just read, I don't know if you saw this. I just saw a news piece about two weeks ago. It was this extensive story about this fringe church in Rutherford County, Mm -hmm. which is near Gardner Webb where we went to college. Yeah. About this church that for decades has, physically abused, spiritually abused, and silenced all these people that came and went through their congregation because the power there, the folks in power there were threatening, you know, well, if you do this, God's going to take away your child. Basically, these, these sorts of things, you know, if you, if you, if you report what has happened here, God's going to take away your child or God's, you're going to lose your child, you know, all these threats, right? which, you know, we look at on uh, on on paper and think oh look at the crazies but there's a way in which we still do things like that sometimes not yes. to that level and not to that not to that severity but there's such a danger we can exercise and hear me it sounds like i'm saying you can't know anything about god that's not what i'm saying i'm saying there is there is trouble that can come when you start getting too certain Yes. About your, about your version of, of things, I think. And I think, 
I would, I would say that to a degree, depending on the context in which we're talking, there are contexts in which I would agree with the statement, you can't know anything about God. There are contexts in which I sure, would agree sure, with yeah, that yeah. statement. Um, to be clear, that's not precisely what I was saying, but I think you're just extrapolating. Yeah, I'm just extrapolating context. that yeah, one yeah, part. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but in the broader sense of what I, what I believe you're saying, yes, I grew up in a charismatic culture. I'm still part of a charismatic church. And there is a perpetual danger that someone is going to come up to you and say, and I have had it. I have experienced it in my life to the degree that my wife and I will have discussions about, you know, things that have happened to one or each or both of us and uh, or to our friends where we'll say like the moment. And I will, I will say this purely for my own perspective. People that I love and trust implicitly, the moment they come to me and say, God told me something about you, or God told me this, or God told me that, does not matter the depth of relationship that I have with them or the depth of relationship I know them to have with the Lord, I will immediately be skeptical. I will immediately meet that moment with a severe amount of skepticism. And I've reached this place to where anytime I hear that, I believe two things, and some listeners are going to think I'm insane. That's okay with me. I believe two things. First of all, I do believe that God speaks. There are some listeners who, in their theology, they do not uh, account for that, and I understand that. Maybe I'm wrong. But I believe that God still speaks to his people. And the second thing that I think is, I think he does so deliberately and without the flippant frequency that we often hear people claim that he does. And so I always keep those things in tension because I've had experiences and I'm not going to go into the details because uh, they're really not important to the point that I'm making. But I've had experiences where the same exact person, the identical person on the same exact night told me one thing that quote unquote God had told them that was absolutely false and absolutely untrue the same night. From the same person, they told me something that I have no idea how they possibly could have known because I had not told anyone, even my own family or friends, what I was wrestling with. And things eventually played out that proved what they said to be correct. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how to I don't always have the right understanding of how to place those things in my heart, because the fact that you hear one thing supposedly from the same source that God told me this and it's immediately dismissible. But then there's another thing that's like, where in the world did that come from? Where in the world yeah. did, did did that happen? And that life and faith eventually proved it all out. So the point that I would, you know, that's that's what we're talking about. That's what we're wrestling with is this idea that these things are frail. These things are, right, are, right, are fragile. Right. And I think that what, if I would, if I would offer a piece of of advice on that, I would say, A, not to categorically dismiss when somebody who you know to be a sincere and discerning person speaks such a thing. Don't categorically dismiss it, but at the same time, don't wholeheartedly swallow it. Take it and put it in a pocket where you can reason it out, chew on it, (laughs) talk about it with with fellow believers, with people who you understand to just know life and know practicality and, uh, and take these kind of things, uh, just, just in the scriptures. This is not the scripture I'm going to bring in in a second, but 
The scripture says in the presence of many counselors is much wisdom, which seems kind of sure. like a no brainer, but surround so, yourself. So with- just lots of, lots of therapy. I'm down with that. <laughs> surround yourself by people, you know, because you've examined their life and you know them to be wise. Surround yourself by people who you know to have a modicum of wisdom and then I- extrapolate these things with them and discuss them with them and reason them with them. Come now, let us reason together. You have a thought. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I've got the, the title is, is creeping back up on me. And, you know, I think I would add to the mix. It's, it's sort of just a different version of something we've already alluded to at least. It's just, it's just people are frail. Yes. And, you know, I, this is making me think of, uh, was it Carrie? We were talking about the, the, the double-edged sword of faith, you know, faith being a double-edged right. sword and how, right. you know, you've got to be sensitive and delicate with how you wield it um, because it can cut everyone around you. Well, you know, same idea here is like people are frail, man. And, and I say that not dismissively as being one right. for right. whom, for whom the power abusers and the powers and principalities and the manipulation that comes from people and structures above you can dent and ding and harm and wound yes in such a way that sets you on this really dark path and and so you know dark path in the movie at least but for us in the real that dark path can simply be coloring now you know, our own our, our own inherent frailty being dented and dinged and abused mm-hmm. will now color how we interact with the world around us. Yes. Um, our abuse at the hands of people of faith in power will now color how we um, appe- how we interpret and view people of faith in power. Yes, right, right, right. You know? And 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 you take that to just a parental standpoint, and it's a whole different kind of microcosm. But it's the same idea. You know, there's the, yeah. the frailty of people around us and our and our own selves. Right. You know, right. Um, for better or worse, the Bill Paxton character is open to this level of suggestion, and he heeds it. You know, he is himself frail. Yes. Um, these children he is responsible for, of course, just by virtue of development frail yes and are 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 prone to be victims of abuse of power and yeah. that's definitely what plays out anyway yeah. i don't know just just the, the the title kept creeping back up on me yeah well and and you know we, we we should probably wind down but there's there's so much that we could spend about this topic alone and i right. can say with confidence that depending on the movie or depending on the story we're going to revisit this idea again, I'm, I'm sure, because it's a, it's a very important subject and a very vibrant one for discussion. I struggled a little bit with the scripture that I wanted to bring in, the deliberate scripture, because it can be read a, a couple of different ways, but I'm going to, I'm going to read it and then tell you why I chose to bring it in with this conversation. So Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus was sending his disciples out for their first missionary mission, And he's sending them out and he instructed them, I'm sending you out essentially as lambs among wolves, you know, and he gave them a certain list of things that they should and should not do while they're out on this journey. And he talked about the people were going to reject them and people were going to possibly even do violence to them and and that sort of thing. This is the passage that I wanted to read. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 28 says this. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. 
Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. There's a number of reasons why I struggled. You're going, you're going dark here, man. I know. There's a number of reasons why I struggled with that. But, I mean, Jesus said it. Our, our king said it. When he says this, I'll use, I'll bring in Stephen King here because Stephen King has commented several times about his belief of God or not, depending on where he's at in his life. But actually, I don't know if he said this or if he was quoting somebody else. But I know he's where I remember first encountering this quote. He said, people need to remember two things. First of all, there is a God. Second of all, you're not him. And so taking that idea, again, I'm not saying, you know, Stephen King's this devout believer or whatever. He's fluctuated over the years. But um, at one point. Well, you did go, you did go from the words of Jesus to now I'm going to bring in Stephen King. Well, I mean, you, you really, you really did a little bit of. You have been, you have been my friend for a long time. You know, yes. that's what I, oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, um, so, but, but this idea when he says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. I struggle. I, we, we, we talked a little bit off mic. I struggle. I read struggle with needing people's approval. And somebody comes to me, Hey, God gave me this word for you. Yes, I'm skeptical. But in that moment, it's also very possible that I'm going to be as desiring of their approval as I would be of God's. Sure. And so the reason that I'm bringing this in here right now is whether or not Daddy Meeks is crazy, whether or not this film is purporting a an Old Testament philosophy or not, whether the lines of lunacy and sanity are clearly defined or are blurred in this film, here's what I do believe, and here's what I do know. I do believe there is a God. I do believe I am not Him. And so, as a result, I think there needs to be some degree of understanding on my part that I can't be afraid of other people as if they are the substance on which I rise and fall. I cannot be afraid of, uh, you know, we talk, our show is called The Fear of God, but we don't talk a lot about the fear of man, about the fear that this other person, you know what, I've, I've got to do what this guy tells me or, or, or my career is over. I've got to do what this person tells me or this is my last shot in life. I've got to go with this person. I've got to stay in this relationship. I've got to, I've got to participate in this activity or else all of these things unravel. And I do right. think that in that co- in that context, I would, again, quote the words of Jesus, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now, when he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, I will point out that he does not say who will destroy both body and soul in hell. That's a separate conversation. And I'm, I'm not, we don't have the time or, in, or really the inclination to get into it right now. But I will say there is divine wisdom in recognizing do not fear man more than you fear God. Do not sure. fear what they will do to you more than you recognize, hey, I believe this is what God would have me do. And I do think that that's wisdom, whether you're in the, the, the privacy of your own home, in the public area of your jobs or your, your place of business or your endeavors, uh, the political spectrum, uh, the social spectrum, wherever you are. Do not fear them. Do sincerely be cognizant of your relationship with the Lord and, and making sure, uh, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are attentive and seeking, actively seeking in the presence of fellow believers and in community, 
how you should live and walk that out. It also says elsewhere in the scriptures to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And right, right. does this mean we, we, we quiver in our boots at the, you know, that, that God is not approachable? No, I don't entirely believe that. I believe that because of Jesus, he is very approachable. But I think we must always keep that in mind that we as human beings are fickle and frail and right. we need constantly to lean on something that is far more substantial and uh, that is beyond us and and enter into the mystery as it is called so yeah i'm i'm gonna get a lot of letters or possibly a lot of comments on on that whole diatribe you know or to quote one of our mutual favorite shows just let the mystery be you know let the mystery be oh the leftovers so um we have we have tossed by my count about 29 grenades in about 17 different backpacks with this whole with this whole conversation. Um, so have fun with that. So there it is. Go and um, go in peace. Go, <laughs> go with God. But uh you know the the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but it is not the end of the conversation. And let me let me be a little blunt about that. That this is in fact uh, a conversation. It's an exploration. There are plenty of things that I will admit that maybe I'm wrong about. I don't express any belief that um, that I believe to be wrong, but there are plenty of things because my perspective is limited and because my understanding is severely limited that I may get wrong. You know, we're we're exploring this intersection and exploring this understanding, and I don't think there's a better word to put on an exploration of the divine and the finite than frailty. That's that. That's what it is. It's very, very frail, very, very fragile. So we would love to know what some of your thoughts are about all of this, and you can reach out to us in a variety of ways. Do you mean? Do you mean like we'd like to know some of you who are listening's thoughts, as in excluding others, or are you like are you saying all of you who listen, we'd like to know some of your thoughts? All of you who Please. listen, we'd like to know some of your thoughts. <laughs> uh, don't you don't have to share everything, but we'd love to know some of what you think, um, particularly about <laughs> this film bit. and uh, and about the show in general, about the conversation we've been having. We've gone a little long here, but I think that especially the word the end of the conversation, it warranted it. But uh, we do, you know, rest in peace, Bill Paxton. Uh, and we wanted to cover this film because I do think it's a great film. And as we've already uh, exemplified, worthy of tremendous discussion. I would retroactively, I would retroactively throw it a few more halves. Yeah. See, see, I, I knew, I knew we would, I knew yeah. we would, but, uh, but yeah, we would love to know your thoughts on this film about, uh, the career of Bill Paxton, about this conversation that we've been having. And you can do so in a variety of ways. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Nathan, what's our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook and post something there or comment to one of our posts there. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? At the Nathan Rouse. You can also go to morethanonelesson.com and comment on one of the uh, specific postings there. You can email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Also, go to iTunes and leave us a review there. We would tremendously appreciate that because um, it is a, a way to to sort of put our show into the ears of more audience members. And go see, go see Beauty and the Beast. Give Disney your money. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, what are we doing next week, Reed? So next week, we're going to dive into something. Speaking of, uh, you know, not not ruffling any feathers or, or any controversy. We're, next week, we're going to be starting Springtime for Shyamalan. 
Um, yes. We are going to be diving into a five-week series on the films of M. Night Shyamalan. We are going to start with his most recent 2017 hit, Split. Uh, and uh, I am very, very excited to dive into this, and I'm excited to do so with you. Um, and hopefully, listeners, you will also be along for the ride. We would love to have you there. Nathan, as always, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for uh, for everything, really, and for having this conversation yes. with me. I appreciate it. Likewise. I appreciate it. All the, all, all the same. <laughs> and thank you. You listeners as well we will catch you next time we'll see you next week